It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome, welcome to the Cult of the Collective Commentary, featuring Dave A.C. Victor and Al Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Cult of Collective Commentaries, or should I say, welcome back to the Tomb of the Cybermen. Boom. Yes, and Dave's here, all entombed and all. Ah, I've still got my long johns on. <laughs> and Mike's gone on to ciphering other stuff. I finally managed to hatch out of this cell here. <laughs> right, yes, we're back. Uh, and if you know, if you were joining us on the previous part. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, go back to the first part, listen to that while you watch the first two episodes. This is the wrong part for you. All right. Uh, just to reiterate that, uh, of course, uh, on your uh, DVD, uh, go to the selection where it says select episode uh, rather than play all. Uh, as we're doing this episode by episode, taking a little break to allow people to go to the bathroom. And as Mike said last time, the cyber leader has vacated the toilet. Yes, yes. His commode is available. <laughs> All right. Well, without any further ado, because uh, it's frozen, uh, we'll get on with things. <laughs> it's the wine, I swear. All right. If everybody's ready, I'll count everybody in for episode three of Tomb of the Cybermen. Here we go. In five, four, three, two, one, play. Oh, it's part three. Fancy yeah, that. Yeah. That's a familiar theme. I swear I've heard it somewhere before. All right. uh, this episode was seen by 7.2 million viewers. Yeah, this is great. The way it picks up on every episode. Yeah. The Tomb of the Cybermen. Ba-ba-ba-bam. Cool, blimey. What a hat. <laughs> I remember not like it. I found that very frightening as a kid, though. Yeah. I, I, I remember, I think when I was quite young, my dad had taken me to the cinema to see, it was a film about cancer and smoking, and the, um, you know, it was like when he's, oh. uh, he saw, they showed you what lungs looked like and things like that. So ever since I went to that, when I saw things like that, I go all squeamish. Right. And of course, uh, Dave, as you were mentioning before, had the voice of uh, Peter Hawkins uh, su supplying the voice of uh, the Daleks. I mean, the Cybermen. But <laughs> also uh, voice of the Daleks. And more importantly, Zippy on Rainbow. 
Oh, tons of things. Yeah. It's interesting, actually, because uh, he was the original voice of Beyond Rainbow during its first year uh, in 1972. Uh, coincidentally, his replacement on Rainbow, uh, Rainbow was Roy Skelton, who also voiced the Daleks and uh, the Cybermen on the Planet. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Captain Pugwash, Family oh, yeah. Ness. Unbelievable. Oh, just, yeah, just... And interestingly enough, um, uh, he voiced uh, Penfold, uh, who had a Welsh accent, and Mr. McNasty, who had a Scottish accent on the pilot of Danger Mouse. <laughs> Which I did not know. But yes, as far as hedgehoggers go, he was Frankie Mouse. In case anybody was wondering. And um, while you were having a short break to uh, episodes three and four, I uh, I found my uh, uh, Doctor Who Cyberman book uh, written by David Banks and illustrated by Andrew Skiltner. And uh, they've got a lovely little piece here about... Um, uh, the large structure with the tomb itself, built up on scaffolding, three stories high. It rose like a pyramid, each higher level smaller than the one beneath. Each level there were chambers in which the Cybermen were stored in what was meant to be suspended animation. Um, each of the cubicles had lights inside which would be brought upon cue, giving the actor inside the signal to break through the plastic. Hans de Vies says, I was in one of those chambers as uh, like a womb and had to burst out through some plastic no difficulty there as we were all picked for size in those days all over well six six foot, well over six foot tall tons of stuff there in that book brilliant doctor who cybermen by david banks um and for those of you who uh tuned into our regular show um we talked about some uh, casting uh for an adventure in space and time uh, which will screen later on this year as part of uh, Doctor Who's 50th anniversary. Um, Hawkins will actually have a, a small, uh, will be portrayed in an adventure in space and time by none other than Nicholas Briggs, which is just fantastic because, of course, Nicholas Briggs um, has voices both the Cybermen and the Daleks in the new series. So, um, really quite lovely that the fact that the, uh, for his inclusion. In uh, in the uh, in the doco drama, and uh, and the fact that it's it's Nick Briggs doing it, so it's and Nick Briggs even appeared on screen as a minor character in Torchwood: Children of Earth. Mm. Yes, he did. <laughs> that was just a casting that took me completely out of the episode for a moment. Yes, it's Nick Briggs. <laughs> Meanwhile, let's, they're they're playing a game of hide and seek with the the Cybermen. <laughs> Where did you go? Well, that was shocking. Yes. And uh, Toberman, uh, of course, uh, stands at six foot four. <laughs> Look at that string. Why did they not yes. edit that out? Wires. That wire. I mean, they are damn scary voices. 
in a way, kind of a little more scary than than, than the current voices, because at least there's, I don't know, there's some kind of the weird thing. There's some kind of emotion to the the, the new voices, um, but to there, there is nothing. There's no anger. There's no raised voice. There's just you know, which is yeah. interesting. Comparing this is the third story for the for the Cybermen. Just compare their 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 voice styles in each of them. This their voice style in this is virtually identical to the moon base but in the 10th planet it was something different entirely it was sort of a higher pitched and had sort of a song like quality to it mm. a bit creepier in 10th planet i would say yeah yeah in this book uh, there's a foreword by jerry davis of course uh, one of the writers on this and he said um Meanwhile, we needed a new monster. I asked Kit, because Kit Peddler, what was his greatest phobia as a doctor? Dehumanising medicine, he answered. You start with artificial arms and legs, very necessary and beneficial, but what if medical science eventually makes it possible to replace all of a human's organs, heart, lungs, stomach, uh, with metal and plastic replacement? At what stage would that person stop feeling human and become robotic? Mm. And uh, playing Jim there is actually something that um, I I didn't realize was in it, but now that I now that I see the name, it's uh, Clive Merson, um, who uh, has most recently been in uh, Burton Dickey, uh, which also starred uh, Matt Smith, was it not? Yes, yeah, Matt Smith. It's the the rowing thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. The uh, the one where he plays a, a scholar. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's also been in Peep Show, uh, Monday, Monday, uh, Inspector Lindley Mysteries, uh, was also in, uh, Mortimer's Law, The Bill, uh, Tomorrow People, uh, the new Tomorrow People, uh, that is, uh, interesting, they have it listed as just the Tomorrow People on, on, uh, Burton Dickey, Burton Dickey, yep, um, Of course, uh, he was also in uh, Paradise Towers as uh, the deputy chief caretaker, which is interesting. We were just talking about Paradise Towers today, um, and a TV series that I used to love called Kit Curran. Um, uh, he was in there as, as, as Damien Appleby, but he's been in. Uh, as soon as you see, it, if you if you Google him and you see the, his picture, you'll yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you'll instantly recognize him. Um, just Played Sherlock Holmes on radio. Yeah. It's also in uh, Riley Ace's Spies. Um, yeah, it's so many things he's been in. Actually, I, I'm thinking now, listening, it's quite an effective voice, this Cyberman voice. It, it is. is. Smoke bomb. Yeah, you can see that's actually quite a good size set behind them there. Right. Oh. It's an escape. Worst escape ever. <laughs> and a bit of a time check. We're at nine minutes and five seconds. <laughs> no, I'm not. And I think this is working very well. As a, uh, I mean, it's a four-part story, as we know, with this part three. Mm. Uh, 
and sometimes they would have tried to stretch this out to six, and it would have just fallen apart as a right. story. But yeah, filler within the story. Yeah. Quite amazing. We're not seeing them carrying weapons, really, are we? Right. Yet. Um, this, the, the discharge of the spark generator was uh, actually superimposed from a second camera, but it had to be, I mean, it had to be quite well lined up, you know, because mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's, it's one of those things that, like it is these days, you know, uh, they have no idea, um, they had no idea what was, you know, what was happening because they couldn't see it, but the spark generator was actually, I, I believe it was done in front of the camera. So they, they did the spark generation. So, yeah. Anyway. It, it was very good. The, the only trouble there is when you saw the Cybermen, if you saw the joints where their elbows were and the shoulders, uh, they had these like uh, balls there. And they're what, what we used to do when I was teaching. They're actually balls with holes in them. They're called safety balls that when you're, when you're, when you're playing with kids and they're learning to catch. Uh, they would they wouldn't hurt anybody if you if if you couldn't catch it, so they're like safety balls. Oh, down the time scoop. Oh, right here. Oh, <laughs> you can hear the the guy in the suit. <laughs> was actually it was a uh, stagehand. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can hear so, someone there. You see, I actually have the uh, the. Uh... Uh, the info text. I'm not giving too much of the info text away. Just little bits and pieces here and there because um, it's really worth watching uh, these DVDs for the info text. Take the time because it really does contain a lot of information. And also, my friend uh, Paul Schoons, although he didn't do the uh, info text on this one, uh, does a lot of hard work on these info texts. And I know what uh, these guys spend a lot of time doing the research. So I'm just using little bits of uh, information that I'm gleaming from this. Uh, but there's plenty more where this comes from, so well worth it. You know, take the time, sit there. You've still seen the story. Sit there and watch the infotext because it's just really fascinating stuff. Um, all things about where it was, where it was filmed, uh, the kind of things that went on during the filming, um, even looking at you know what what kind of exp- the expenditure was um, and and how long it took to film certain things. So, yeah. Please, please, please watch the infotext on all of your Doctor Who episodes. Because, especially since somebody took the time and, 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 and patience to find out all this information and uh, fed it through the BBC to make sure it was accurate. So Hours and hours and yeah. weeks and weeks. Uh, Paul has done them, probably some that haven't yet come out, but he's mm. done them for, for Caves of Androzani, Special Edition, Resurrection of the Dalek, Special Edition, The Awakening, Planet of Fire, and Frontios, is it? Frontios, yes. I'm glad I got it right this time. <laughs> and hey, you know, plugging this podcast a bit, but dig through the Colton archives and you'll find an interview with him. Yes, yes, you will. Oh, nice one, Mike. I like that. Have a drink. <laughs> have a drink. <laughs> okay, then. Oh, he doesn't have any wine. We'll have a drink for him. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you were quite right. Uh, we said before, you know, it's quite a big cast. Everybody's got something to do. They've all got speaking parts. 
nobody's sort of lost in corridors. I mean, that's the the usual trick, isn't it? You know, somebody's trapped behind a door for, you know, six of them for half an hour, so they don't have to do anything. Oh, and it can be announced now because it was actually announced on stage at Gallifrey, uh, which uh, was uh, last last weekend. Uh, that Paul Schoons uh, is currently working on the infotext subtitles for the forthcoming BBC DVD Doctor Who release of uh, Scream of the Shocker. Uh, and here we have the Cybermen practicing, preparing Biggest for size. their slot car racing. Yeah. Oh, hey, and I wasn't done with my fascinating facts on that. Um, uh, Paul says on his Facebook page, this is rather appropriate that he's been given this task because Paul Cornell stayed with him uh, when he was writing that story in 2002. That's really cool. Yeah. He's like, hey, I was there when he wrote it, so. <laughs> Just stream strange. I can't remember the fact that they changed the size of those from the earlier episode. And that several points through here, you can hear someone coughing. I presume it would be someone wearing the suit, but you can hear coughing. Right. It's usually either that or somebody off off screen. Yeah, and like I was saying, um, this this it's an expensive thing to make these these shows, um, and they could not afford really to, and, and they were on such a time pressure as well, especially in the studios because they were all um, unionized and they had to shut the lights off at a certain time every night, yeah, regardless of whether you were done. Was, ten o'clock, yeah. yeah, ten o'clock. They had to shut the lights off in the studio. And everybody knocked off. Um, and there was no getting around that because that was serious trouble. Uh, so, Lining up for the races here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they can see the ball as safety balls. Yeah. It looks like a, what is it, a wiffle ball? <laughs> oh, come on here. We're talking about Cyberman balls. What's going on? <laughs> used it for indoor tennis and things like that. Oops, there goes the end oh. of the gun. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, but the front end of the gun just... <laughs> yeah. It just went, boing! Prop design. Oh, dear. It's quite going dangerous to extinguish as well, that, that fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because that, that's probably polystyrene that's burning. Yeah. The amount of fumes you get from polystyrene are terrible. They've banned them from use. They use. They were used for ceiling tiles in the UK for many years, and the house fires were getting ferocious with them. Mm. So they were banned from using as ceiling tiles. Funny thing is, is um, oh, about fifteen, twenty years ago or so, probably more than that. I remember seeing a new construction process where they were building uh, a KFC, I think it was, in uh, New Zealand, and the walls. The outer walls, they actually had polystyrene, just sheets of polystyrene. And then they yeah. sprayed concrete over the top. On the middle. Yeah. And yeah. then they probably did the process from the other, the other side, too. It's just like, oh, oh we could say it's when we saw it was like one hot knife and I'm in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On Grand Designs, they've shown them doing that. When have these, But the point is that the, the, it's like giant Lego made mm. of that stuff. A whole wall can go up in an hour, oh, yeah. and then they, then they bring a tanker and just pour liquid concrete in. I used to think those were really frightening. Uh, you know, it's amazing how scary they were. See, uh, I don't find these ones frightening. 
Uh, the ones in oh, the one that attacked uh, Sarah Jane in oh. oh, Revenge was it Revenge? Revenge, yes. Yeah, where it leaps up and oh, that scared the bejesus out of me when I was a kid. Oh, that was just I re- I just remember seeing that over and over again in my head when when I was a kid. They'll they'll get up the ramp eventually. <laughs> just stand uh, around and wait. Attack in yeah. your own time. <laughs> Uh, now the nearest ones that they've done to that, which are not not related to the Cybermen, but it was in uh, was it New 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 Earth, where you had those little skittery things mm. outside. Yeah. I think it was that episode. Yeah, it's the the and you also saw them briefly in. Uh, um, well, oh, what was it called? It's the second episode of the the new series. Um, the end oh, of the world. The end, end of the world. world. Yeah. And of course, the cyber rats themselves returned in closing time mm-hmm. with organic mouths. Yeah. Now that was I didn't that isn't the shape of them's fine because it's kind of uh, in line with the way they look on this, but uh, but the, the the organic looking mouths just kind of really you know, threw me out of it. It's like no. But here's a here's a good scene with Matt with a smash my throat Patrick Chowton, which is an oft, an oft quoted an oft quoted bit of dialogue oh, yes. from Patrick Chowton's era, remembering his his family. And it's and it's so it's just so oh, yeah, let's, let's well delivered. <laughs> Here they come. Lovely line, you're right, mate. Lovely, yeah. And there we go. Yeah. The the interesting thing about uh, about that little scene is that it is the second take um, because there were some line fluffs uh, from Deborah Watling. Unfortunately for Deborah, not her fault. Uh, she was uh, suffering from a summer flu, um, which the makeup lady um, managed to disguise because she was sweating quite profusely because she was running a fever. Oh my thing. And can I just say this about the Cybermats? They would be useful for cleaning floors. Mm-hmm. Very useful. If you could make one of those Roombas, like, smaller, and put it in a casing, that would be fantastic. Have that zipped yes, around. That would. <laughs> just look at the, the, the felt fabric there along the bottom. Have the, the eyes pulse, at least. I mean, I do uh, love the way that they're moving in this. Uh, they're quite... Um, the noise makes them frightening as well, the sound effects. Hmm. I just find them silly. They're, they're, not, they're not exactly menacing looking, I don't think. Not when, no, no, no. It's when they, it's a little bit like um, in your house. 
you know, if you if you just watch it and suddenly out the corner of the eye, a, a spider runs mm. across the floor. It, it's it's the movement that frightens you, not what it looks like. Right. Or, so stay, or stay. hear me out on this, you could kick them. <laughs> Did you think about that? You could kick them. Oh, it's brave. Mike's saying that I'm looking around my room here just to check. I haven't got one down on the floor here somewhere. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have to go into this too because we're running out of episodes and I haven't done it yet. I've actually ignored the main cast. Um, <laughs> Not not deliberately, but uh, being you know Doctor Who fans, we're all kind of familiar. But I feel duty bound to at least uh, give mention to uh, to what else they've been in because it's my job. Um, of course, uh, Deborah Watling playing uh, Victoria Waterfield. Uh, of course, in a new movie database, uh, um, says that the last appearance that she has is uh, downtime. Which is, I think, a real-time productions uh, video, um, but she's also, uh, of course, in. Um, no, I'm not going to mention it. It was a Doctor Who special in 3D that I Ooh. just can't bring myself to, to mention. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but she's also in Rising Temp. You've got uh, time. <laughs> Arthur and the Britons. Uh, no hiding place, Mister Misfit. Uh, she was in uh, Take Me High. Um, starring Cliff Richard. Um, I have to bring bring that up because um, my mum loves Cliff Richard. Most ingenious doctor. Yes, watch, because the throat of my gun will... Oh, no, it didn't happen this time. <laughs> well, we've scooted through that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Done. Scooted like a cybermat. <laughs> and of course, uh, next episode I'll tackle Fraser Hines and Patrick Troughton together. <laughs> that scene in the sandwich. <laughs> I'm going to have a Patrick and Fraser sandwich. That was for you, Fraser. <laughs> because we all know that Fraser Hines listens to all of our commentaries. We wish. He's just had a great time at uh, Gallifrey One, hasn't he? And, yes. Uh, we're going to have our report from Ken, Ken Barr, who's a real... Uh, cuddly Ken. Cuddly Ken. Uh, quite a... a, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a veteran of uh, Gallifrey. And oh, yes. Hopefully that will be up on our feeds, one of our studio episodes soon. Or if you're listening to this in the year 2020, he did it a few years back. Um, and also to to mention just briefly before we uh, pause to get out of here, and uh, I'll let people take a bathroom break. Um, Kendeep uh, announced that uh, uh, there's going to be a, a Long Island uh, Doctor Who convention, um, and they've just announced that uh, their 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 guest will be Fraser Hines. Um, the convention is uh, November eighth, ninth, and tenth of uh, twenty thirteen. And uh, it's, I think it's the first uh, Long Island convention in, in, in quite a long time. So, uh, yeah, it's great that they've, they've got something coming up and, uh, and they've got Fraser Hines coming along. So, excellent. And he said he's go- they're going to have a doctor. It's, uh, oh, wow. Oh, they're, gonna, they're having a doctor, yeah. 
Excellent. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll try to get up there so I can meet Ken and all that. I doubt it, but, you know. I'm trying to save up to go to Kelly next year. It's Colin Baker. <laughs> and the URL is, um, <clears throat> all on word, longisland.who.com. So, yes, check that out, especially if you're up that way. And uh, join them for the celebrations. All right. Well, it's time for us to take a little pause before we uh, come back and continue on with Tomb of the Cybermen for the final episode of this story. So I can hardly wait. You won't have to wait long. Oh, good. See you soon. Welcome back. See? Ah. Not long at all. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you didn't hold your breath. <laughs> I hardly missed a heartbeat. <laughs> a heartbeat. <laughs> all right. Well, if everybody's ready, we'll embark on the last episode and then uh, we'll get into our wrap-up in which Mr. Randall Thor will be heard to say... I'm not a fan of Tomb of the Cybermen, grumble, grumble. There you go. Something to look forward to for the end. All right. So if everybody's ready, I will count everybody in. In five, four, three, two, one, play. Oh, we've struck the same music. How quaint. Oh, I know. Jeez. <laughs> and did the numbers go up, Ian? I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Uh, 7.4 million viewers. Ooh, they did. I Most mean, that's quite unusual. Screens. September 23rd, 1967, when Dave was, uh, I think, 50. I was, uh, <laughs> I was 21. 21. He was probably out the bar. <laughs> In fact, I was 20. It was just a couple of months before my 21st birthday. Now, of course, because of the unsatisfactory uh, events of the uh, previous gunfire, they managed to fix the problems, which is why we don't have the end of the gun flying off again. And just a, a note about that cliffhanger there. Oh, microphone! This, <laughs> Sorry. A note about the cliffhanger from the previous episode. The Cybermats were not terrifying enough to use as a cliffhanger device. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, specimens. Well, the thing, you're quite right. When you, when you saw them up still and close, they weren't frightening at all. It was it was the skittying them out on the floor. Right. But, I mean, I always think that it's, it's a matter of uh, perspective. Garbage day. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought he was going to throw his... <laughs> you hear anything? No, I don't hear anything. I mean, the BBC controller? Uh, he's <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> Yeah. Don't kill him because he's our enemy. He's just boring. Kill him. The, always th the only thing I always think of in this is it's an all matter of perspective as far as um, what we find frightening or scary. Um, I always think that for, for myself and, and, and even more so uh, Liam, you know, some things like this are, are kind of uh, ridiculous, you know. Oh, well, that's all it takes is, is a little bit of... Uh, Tinfoil on your head and you're a monster? No, that's, you know, um, golf balls on the ankles. Uh, that's not scary at all. You know, it's all a matter of, I think, what, what you're used to seeing on TV. You know, this day and age where, especially my kids, are, are used to seeing everything CG or whatever. Um, they look at things like this and they're like, oh, you can tell it's a model. Like, of course you can. But back then, you know... Uh and that little scene, of course, was filmed backwards and, uh, I should say, filmed and then run backwards. They were actually breaking out, but they filmed it 
because that's the only way they could make the the, the thing go back into a full sheet. Well, the cyber controller just saw a shadow. That's a couple more months of uh, winter. Thought transference nope. music. Quite quite well done. I mean, considering the time, yeah. I mean, I yeah. gotta say, you know, it could look a hell of a lot worse. The, the point being, of course, these are virtually, you know, video played, the video filmed. Mm. So the effects is, it's not as though they had, you know, they filmed it three months before airing and then did, but did all the effects. Right. Now, as I was saying before uh, in the previous episode, uh, Fraser Hines, uh, of course, you know, we all know him as uh, Jamie McCrimmon, uh, the Timur Beastie, uh, <laughs> which, of course, um, the name McCrimmon is, is, is checked in the, the new series. Uh, in, um... Oh, I've forgotten the name of it now. Oh, it's the, uh, the, the where they go to the Torchwood House, isn't it? Yeah. The, um, uh... um, um... Come on, Mike. You're uh, the young jaw, one. You're supposed to be um, Tooth and Claw. Tooth and Claw, yes. That's the one. Yes, uh, yes, we get we get the name McCrimmon used uh, by the Doctor um, in that episode, which is lovely for us, at least. Um, but most people will know, especially uh, British audiences, will know him as Joe Sugden on Emmerdale Farm, which is, of course, now called Emmerdale who is, uh, you know, uh, 117 episodes of, of Emmerdale. Of course, I uh, played uh, Jamie McCrimmon for uh, 117 episodes. Mm. Uh, most recently, uh, he's actually got some uh, things uh, on the go at the moment. Uh, in post-production right now, is uh, Two Days in the Smoke. Uh, he's playing Mr. Hemmings. Uh, God Tech uh, as uh, Dr. James uh, Shepard and uh, in pre-production Tarot as a blind man there you go so still up to his old tricks and uh, yeah as we said earlier uh, catch him in, uh, in Long Island I mean, we don't really want to go into his personal life, but I mean, um, it was in, only in 2010 that uh, Fraser Hines disclosed that he'd, uh, he'd been suffering from cancer, didn't he, for 11 years? So. Yeah. And he's now a survivor of that. And he's done quite a lot for charity for that. Of course, I, I mean, as much as I like Victoria as a companion, uh, I'm still missing uh, Zoe. I still think I still think one of my favourite groupings of Doctors and Companions is the second Doctor, Jamie and Zoe. Right. Oh, I think she's doing a pretty good job in this episode. 
Hmm? And of course, people looking at uh, the second Doctor there, you know, you got to remember, like his hairstyle, it's it's typically a Beatles hairstyle. Right. <laughs> that was all the rage then. Yep. And of course, uh, speaking of Patrick Troughton, uh, well known, of course, with Doctor Who. Um, but also a, a well-rounded actor uh, from Shakespeare to, uh, to series television. To, um, I think the, the last thing he did was uh, uh, Knights of God as Arthur. He um, was also in an episode of Super Cran. Oh, I love that show. Stand back, Superman, Iceman's Pipe. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Batman and Robin, too. Yeah, uh, Billy Conley did the, uh, the uh, uh, theme song for that one. It's great. Uh, it was also uh, the two of us uh, appearances in the two Ronnies, which uh, for those of you who don't know, that's where we get our uh, our sign offs from. Um, uh, it's it, it started off before uh, Mike joined us. As, uh, it's it's good night for me and it's good good night from him. Good night. From him. Good night. No. Um, <laughs> now we've expanded, of course, you know, and, and changed it up just a little bit. But that's that's where we get it from, basically, because it's my love of the two Ronnies. Uh, but yes, I remember a lot of people, uh, and unfortunately so, uh, and I think unfairly so, um, some young fans in uh, New Zealand blamed America for the death of Patrick Troughton because he died at an American convention, which, of course, is just silly. Um, but yes, uh, he's for, for those of you who are new to watching classic uh, series episodes, uh, this is not... Uh, Patrick Troughton's only character that he's played in uh, in the series. He also played the part of Salamander, which is basically uh, the Doctor's body double. Which is a, sort of a thing that we had going re- recurring from the first Doctor era, mm-hmm. the, the Reign of Terror, that story, where William Hartnell played another character, the yeah. Abbot. And it, uh, was it by implication, or am I getting mixed up like Face of Evil, evil where, the, where the Doctor returns and he's he's not... Uh, you know, I'm thinking of the fourth Doctor here. Isn't, isn't that a, like a computer, though? Yeah, but hmm. the, the point is, it's like, it's not an alter ego, obviously, but it's right. it's playing on that sort of theme. Right, but Megloss... That was uh, Androids of yeah. Death, I think. Where we had that the the robot doctor, and, the androids of death, I think that was. Yeah, but uh, also we had thing, Megloss as well, in which we had a doppelganger for the doctor. Uh, well, one thing that uh, people probably will have seen Patrick uh, in uh, Patrick Troughton is um, if you ever watched Jason and the Argonauts, one of uh, Ken Barr's oh, yes. favorite films, he plays the 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 the, the guy that's uh, being played by harpies. Um, uh, very classic case there. I mean, he's been in so much. We'd oh, spend yeah. the whole 24 minutes of this show telling you what he's been in. Yeah. Oh, his lights were, his batteries powered up. Especially since it's a starter's pistol. Now, that's the first time I've actually noticed his head lit up. The, the, the effect of having the smoke tubes was great. They had smoke tubes up inside the costume. Um, and of course, um, the the uh, the poor special effects man has to walk up to, to Shirley and say, "Excuse me, I need to put my hand up your jumper," uh, <laughs> and basically slip the tube up, and and and, and basically it's been held in place by a bra. Um, 
and so that's you know after the shot they uh, it's quite effective actually simple effects often are yeah actually i mean unfortunately this simple effect does does not play off well i mean it's great because oh, it's obviously empty right but the, the, the neat it's thing small. is it's done in one shot when you think about it the amazing thing is of course that bloke looks strong enough to lift a real person anyway yeah exactly <laughs> well i don't know he's trying to lift uh uh, Michael Gagara. So, <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, when you think about what they just pulled off, there is, is is they struggled slightly off camera. Then he picked up the dumb, and then they, they continued on with one shot. Dead. You know, these day, this day and age, they 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 you know they'd replace him uh, with a CG character, and then <laughs> you know, get back down there. I do like the sound of that gun. And of course, the, the Doctor's famous for not really wanting to kill. But right. uh, I think with robots and uh, cyber people, he makes a slight exception. Yeah. I just want to quickly mention two more production crew people. First, the visual effects designer for this story, um, Peter Day was uh, the, the visual effects des, des, uh, designer for this story. He also did quite a lot on Doctor Who, going back to the William Hartnell era with Death of a Spy and War God and the War Machines uh, with William Hartnell. Besides that, he's done. he was the visual effects designer for Evil of the Daleks, uh, the story, Fury from the Deep, the Ambassadors of Death, so John Pertwee, Demons, the Demons, uh, another John Pertwee, Sea Devils, Monsters of Monster of Peladon, Genesis of the Daleks, and Deadly Assassin. So, and, the, and also the Sunmakers, summoning up with, in the Tom Baker era. Uh, besides, he started off with Quatermass in the Pit in 1958, huh? uh, but after Doctor Who, he did quite a lot of episodes as a visual effects designer on Dad's Army, an episode of Doomwatch, uh, Out of the Unknown, some uh, let's see some some mothers do have them and the goodies quite a lot of episodes of the the goodies oh the goodies is fantastic if you haven't seen the cool. goodies watch the goodies yeah, yeah. and, quite and a lot of episodes pit. of uh, wings go ahead dave i would say quite a in the pit was the most scariest thing i watched as a a, a juvenile uh, absolutely scary where they find this the thing is that I won't tell the plot away, but they're, they're digging in this uh, for a new building, and they come across this skull that's ten thousand years old, and then below the skull they find this cylindrical object, and it's a spaceship, ah, oh, something that looks like it, which has obviously landed prior to the ten thousand year old skull, but when they open that up, it's the scariest thing, oh, really frightening, yeah. and even now I think it would frighten people. And besides Peter Day, I also wanted to mention uh, Victor Pimbleton, who was the script editor. You see, back in, the, in, in this era of Doctor Who, the original series, the show had a script editor, something that it doesn't have nowadays. And <laughs> a bit editorial here, but maybe it needs a gun. Anyway, um, but, but uh, Victor Pimbleton, he did a few episodes, a few stories. Of course, this story, uh, The Moon Base and Fury from the Deep. He was also a writer on Send Forster, a writer on Adventure Weekly, Time Slip, and Tightrope. Also Ace of Wands, and Within These Walls. So, quite a few different series. Yeah, and I noticed he was uh, on uh, Fraggle Rock, <laughs> which, of course, is more to 
Ian's type of exactly. viewing. <laughs> um, just want to mention that uh, earlier when Caftan uh, uh, gets shot, and we were talking about this, the smoke coming out uh, and everything. Um, it, she had not got a lot of sleep at the at the time that, that was filmed, and uh, and uh, because for uh, I think both uh, both of her children were sick at the time. And so she had not a lot of sleep. She actually fell asleep <laughs> during filming, and uh, was was uh, woken up to uh, to, to the, the cast and uh, crew standing above her um, because she'd been snoring because it was quite warm in the studio and she got quite comfortable laying there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading here also that that you mentioned the Patrick Trout and Fury from the Deep. Uh, but the story, which was now missing from the BBC archive, was based on an earlier standalone radio serial that he's written called The Slide, and it starred the future master actor, Roger Delgado. Yeah. Ooh. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be a demure young lady, not sarcasm. <laughs> And last time check, we're at 16 minutes and 15 seconds. Oh, and coming up right here is another of my favorite bits from Patrick Chowton in in this episode. Which, uh, well... <laughs> Nothing can stop me now. <laughs> well, maybe it's at a different point in the episode. I can't remember. Now they moved to film for that bit. Yeah. Uh, well, the effects men tested this 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 sequence before uh, uh, actually doing it in, in Ealing. Uh, but uh, 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 they actually had their their, their 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 knuckles wrapped for this particular sequence because they found it um, because there was stuff spurting out in the innards and stuff that. Uh, um, they kind of take it to task over it for, for being too scary. What you've got to remember when you're watching these is none of the things that have gone after had yet happened. So, you know, they, they were they were making the boundaries as they went along. Yeah. Uh-huh. And again, like that, I mean, it's quite a simple idea to reverse it, but it, right. it works. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me now, it's like, oh, they're just running it backwards. But, I mean, I don't mean to sound, you know... Uh, blousy. I mean, blasé. Well, I don't mean to, like, uh, to say that, you know, um, you guys weren't sophisticated enough, but, 
as far as what you were used to seeing on TV, this was good well, special effects. Is, I mean, well, when this came out, you didn't have your own video record at home, so you never knew. I mean, you know, it's ten years after this before I got a video recorder right. and could play backwards. So you never even knew that things could go backwards as right. well as forwards. Exactly. You know, so, uh, I mean, uh, you know, I don't want people thinking of me being insulting towards you know, the, the viewership at the time. But, you know, that's the thing. It's like it's what you were used to seeing. You know, these days it's like, oh, heck, you could easily do that with, you know, a computer, you know, a home computer. Uh, there's, there's people doing far more, far superior special effects on home computers now and putting them on YouTube. But... Uh, I think part of the, the, the fascinating thing is what they did accomplish with things like this in well, the, at, at the time for the money that they had. I mean, I don't know when it came in, but I mean, uh, you have to remember that when they did some sophisticated uh, screen, well, sophisticated for the time, green screen, they actually had to borrow the computer that the BBC used for their weather prediction. Mm. And, and they would use it uh, at the end of the night to, to do stuff. Because that was the only computer in the whole of the BBC. I think they had two of them that could do that sort of oh, thing. Oh, you talked over the top of it. Me? You talked over the top of it. You did. You've heard fantastic. You've heard I'm sorry, so sorry. You've heard uh-huh. uh, Allons-y. <sighs> You've heard Geronimo. You just missed out on when I Shut say run. Door. When I say run, run. <sighs> That was Patrick Troughton's one. When I say run, run. Run! <laughs> Lovely little shot there. The cyber mat disappearing off into the sunset. Man v. Machine. Said you Gandalf. shall not pass. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Gandalf. It's good. It's good. And poor Michael Kilgarrow. He was actually um, forgotten about. After the scene, everybody went off for tea break and left him there. <laughs> the Australian Board of Censorship actually uh, branded this a. Uh, oh, I'll get into that later. <laughs> Oh, dear. Ooh, blasey. <laughs> sure. It's the end You'll of the cyber. You'll never see them again. <laughs> that that line, of course, was um, apparently unscripted. Ah. The uh, I don't like to make predictions. Oh, his hands gone fully. <laughs> oh, it was like that before he got slightly cybernized. I keep being surprised by the end comes up, I must admit. Yeah. Just slightly 24 minutes this one, but wow. 
There you go. <laughs> I mean, as, as I said at the beginning, it's like, you know, as soon as this theme tune comes on, at the very end, actually, of the, the, the last episode I was watching out in the, in the living room with dinner, um, as the credits rolled, uh, Callum goes, Doctor! And puts his hands on his face, uh, like, oh no! <laughs> kind of. And then turns to us and goes, oh, Doctor! <laughs> it's really quite cute. And no coaching, of course, from, from, from my side. It's just, you know, I, I, I love to just put it on while he's in the room and, and let him watch. Next week, the Abominable Snowman. Ba-ba-ba-bam. Of course, which we will not actually be doing. I'm not talking about us. I was just talking about the little ending there. Which is, I, I don't know, was that a, a usual thing to, to uh, give the story title for the, the next week's episode? They did, but not always, I don't think. Okay. I mean, obviously, depending on whether you were mid-season or not. Oh, okay. All right, shall we, shall we leave Mike for last? Oh, Keep the suspense going. No, well, we don't want to end on, end on a downer. Okay, well, I'll go, I'll go first, then Mike, then you. How's that? Okay. Unless your memory's going to go before then. Oh. Now, like I was saying uh, at, the, at the end of the, the, the first half of our commentary, um, you know, my earlier impressions of this were it, it was quite boring. Now, um, I look at it, I think, with more seasoned eyes. And also, it didn't help that the last time I watched this too, I was watching it with um, with Liam, who was I think about ten, uh, ten or eleven at the time. And so, when you're sitting there, you're very aware of whether he's restless or not, or, or, or you know the questions he's asking, like oh, what's with the strings and things like that. But there's a lot to appreciate. Um, you know, there's this a lot of effects in here that they pulled off. I thought the Cybermets were, were quite uh, effective as far as movement went. Um, I don't think they were scary looking. Uh, they look quite comical and quite cute. Um, kind of, you want to you want to take one home. Um, but the the way they kind of moved around, I, I was uh, quite impressed with that. Um, a, a number of the effect shots were quite good as far as and, and even the sound effects. Um, and you know we're talking about a rather large cast in in a confined space, and I think they managed to make a good a good use of of all the characters. Uh, everybody gets a bit in there, uh, and I, it, it's a nice story and it moves along. Uh, it doesn't drag like I remembered it. Uh, but like I said, I think that a part of that is 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 my own tastes have changed as well uh, with the times and. Uh, it, it, it's, it's just neat to see the the, the second Doctor. And, I, and I, like I said earlier, I hope people who have uh, started off with the new series and have seen, you know, been watching Matt Smith on, on screen uh, can look at uh, the performance of, uh, of Patrick Troughton here as the second Doctor and, and see where some of Matt's portrayal comes from and, and kind of uh, latch on to uh, Patrick's Doctor as well because... It's well worth it. Um, like I said, he, I've always had a fondness for him because I'm I'm up of the right height and uh, hairstyle <laughs> to pull it off. In fact, I have to. There's there's um, various photos circulating of me um, dressed up as uh, as the second Doctor. Um, also done him in a couple of uh, fan videos, terrible fan videos. 
extremely bad fan videos of me doing a terrible Scottish accent. But back to Tomb of the Cybermen. It's, it, I think it's a nice episode. I don't know if it stands up to um, it being this uh, heralded classic episode. Uh, I think it's one of those things where because it was missing uh, and because uh, we had, I think, I think all we had was really the the the, uh, the scene of them emerging from uh, the the tombs uh, and maybe the odd shot of of the film that. sequences, yeah, yeah, that, that was where there was very little of it existing, and and so uh, people tended to kind of fill in the blanks with their memories, uh, kind of like Dave, you know, um, <laughs> but. I, I, I mean, I don't see it as being uh, an all-time classic episode, but I do think it, it is a really nice episode to watch. And uh, historically, just looking at, at, at what they were able to accomplish in such a short amount of time, the limited budget, and, and, and what they were managed to pull off. Um, uh, but you'll hear... I guess I don't want to go on too much, because uh, uh, coming up on the Colton Collective this Sunday, uh, we will be talking about uh, the second Doctor, and uh, uh, primarily the uh, the episode shown uh, by BBC America tonight. Uh, and so uh, we hope you will join us for that, for our uh, our views on it, plus the rest of the collective. But now to change pace and turn over to the uh, alternate opinion, here is Mr. Randall Thor. Why, hello there. And... <laughs> Yeah, my opinions here on this episode, it's a mixed bag. And and it's interesting how I approach this episode. And before I go into this, I just want to point out that, you know, it's interesting my views in this episode compared with, I don't know, like someone who was, when this story was written, when this story was produced in the the mid to late 60s, uh, 67, late 67 was when this episode, this story aired. But, um... First of all, Tomb of the Cybermen is not a story that has aged well at all. This story does just does not work with with the the modern day politics, modern day modern day views. That, uh, I'll, I'll go into that here in a bit. But this story is one. It, it it's it's nice that we have a a full Patrick Troughton story, a, a Patrick Troughton era story that exists in its entirety because most of them were wiped. Mm-hmm. Uh, the series after this is six what like six six parters, and of those thirty six episodes, most of those are gone. But yeah, the, so it's nice that we have a full story, but this one does not translate well. And what do I mean by it doesn't translate well? The characterizations of of certain of of characters of, and of a certain character. Um, it's which and before I go into this, of course, it's I will note that it's not fair the way I'm viewing this and the way I'm reacting to this is because I'm reacting to this from my views, from modern day views, and this story was written. At back in the 60s, late 60s, so it's a fragment of its time. It's a relic of its time. And it, for what it did, before I go into the, 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 the my negative comments, this episode did a good job of having a varied cast. There, we had a, a wide variety of of of, of you know, characters, of, of actors in this episode. So that was that was really well done. That was groundbreaking of its own kind and uh, on the BBC, on television of any kind in, in the late 60s, of having a cast of this varied ethnicity. 
now that was that was a good thing. Now let's look at the story itself. And again, I, it's it's not fair of me to look at it this way from a modern viewpoint. But the character of Toberman is racist. It, that's a very racist character. That's and again, I, it's not fair to look at that that way from a modern perspective because this was written in the mid '60s. But Toberman as a character is racist. Look at him. He's monosyllabic. He's he's. He apparently a character who loves violence, and his he's written as a character that protects white white characters. Let's he was put it supposed like to that. be deaf, though, wasn't he? Originally, he was that supposed was, to be deaf. And even if you add that, what does that mean? Well, what I mean is he hasn't got I mean, many I, lines, yeah, which yeah, makes him sound that, monosyllabic. That that adds because to he that. was envisaged of being a deaf a yeah. deaf mute servant on the. And of course, that, that as I mentioned, he was. Originally designed to have a, a like you know an, a hearing device, which would foreshadow his slight conversion into a Cyberman, the, the the technological implant that he already had. He was partially on his way to being a Cyberman, which if they had had that, that would have been an improvement on the character. But again, it's just not a well written character at all. He didn't have that much to do, and looking at him nowadays, again, it's this whole thing of the story does not age well at all. And that's just that's one thing. And then we had some we had some slight sexism in the characters. You like not letting Vicky join them, join the, all the men downstairs as they venture deeper into the into the the, the tombs of the Cybermen. So we had some. Oh, I've got to I've got to I've got to uh, hold you on that one. It was very <laughs> no, a very it, specific reason why he. Left I, her yeah, up there. I I I do know that because he he the doctor trusted her to protect to look after to be the one to be in control. Right. Make sure there's no shenanigans I, I, going on upstairs. And, and yeah. I I will grant I I that's fair enough because she was actually a, a strong character there. She was standing up to her yeah. to Kaftan. So kudos there. That was some good writing on that part. Right. But the, the 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 Toberman character, I just can't really I I can't like that character because. Again, as I said, it's it's a relic of the time. It was how stories were written back then, and it doesn't age well at all. So that that keeps me from really enjoying this character, this story, because things like that really stand out to me. So there were things like that. There were then we had the Cybermen themselves, where when okay, the Cybermen were thawed, but what really was the Cybermen's plan? Was it to convert? They okay, they 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 froze themselves, thinking that eventually someone would find them and 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 uh, uh, what and thaw them out, so they could start converting again. But uh, I don't know. Kind of halfway through the story, once the Cybermen were out, it was kind of okay. The Cybermen are out there just attacking, and they kind of lost their plot in the in the last two episodes. And then there are the Cybermats, which I guess could have been threatening. They just kind of came off as silly, but again, uh, the production designs of it, it, it. That's that's my whole thing here is that I'm looking at it from nowadays, which is unfair because I should be looking at it from the '60s, from 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 its time era for for what the climate was when it was written, what it's produced, what they the, the money, the budget, the everything they had to work with, the constraints. So. Those are my views in this episode. I'm not that fond of this story, but again, it's n- I'm looking at it from modern day, which is not fair at all. But um, that pretty much sums up my thoughts on Tomb of the Cybermen. It's a, I guess it's an enjoy an enjoyable story if you're a fan of the Cybermen, which I mostly am. But this story, I don't know, they just weren't that threatening, and I <laughs> I couldn't get past the cyber controller's helmet. Mm-hmm. That design, who designed that? <laughs> But um, 
yeah, that's my thoughts on this episode. I certain characterizations I could not I could just not get past Toberman specifically. Could have been written so much better as a character, and he just his actions. I don't know. So I'm not that fond of this story. I mean, I see where you're coming from, and and I'm glad you prefaced it by saying that you, you know you're judging it from from present day, which you know, um, sometimes you just get you can't break out of that hole. Like, no, I'm seeing it from from this point of view. You know, it's hard to kind of sometimes shove yourself into that perspective of watching it from when it was made because i mean yeah a lot, is... of, a lot of tv even up to the, the the late 70s especially british tv that was really quite um racist uh yeah. are you being served for example um it's one of the sitcoms that just just doesn't and in that respect does not age well but the one thing I yeah have to which say is for, you for... know why why i i also added in there you know it's it, it's a product of its time right. of its climate which i understand that and uh, it, it, it's written into the episode right the one thing i can say for Tobin is that i don't necessarily consider it racist but there's always that character in those kind of movies especially when um if you watch a lot of the old like mummy type movies there's always the strongman character, and that's the way I see Toberman. Is he's the big, the beefcake that they bring Gan, along. Gan from Blake's. Yeah, you know, Gan from Blake's. The, the, he's the big strongman that they bring along to do all the, the grunt work, regardless of of color. Um, I think he, he, I think uh, that that he plays the part well, and uh, considering he what he's good to work with, you know. Yeah, he and, did play the part well. And I remember in, in one of the uh, uh, um, uh, documentary bits on the on the DVD, uh, Deborah Watling saying he had uh, quite a nice body on him. <laughs> 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 and uh, Fraser Hines says, "Well, I didn't I didn't notice." She goes, "Well, you wouldn't have." <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that, that, that's my perspective of if if he fits the archetype of yeah. of that time as far as having the. Because all the time on those adventure type movies, you'd have, you know, you'd have the archaeologist guy, the brain box guy, the the guy who wants to fire his gun all the time and shoot everything that moves, and then you've got, you know, um, uh, the, the 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 usually the the guy's name was just one word like uh, uh, Gorn or golf or something stupid like that <laughs> and he was just like six foot four and just solid and was used for like opening you know picking big stones up and you know throwing them across a river or something i don't know but that's that's and, the way i see yeah, the character it, but I, I completely understand your your take yeah. on it too and also i can understand you know why they chose a character why they chose an actor like that to be of a similar build and height mm. of the cybermen themselves especially the cyber controller which is who he went up against yeah and just one more comment on this episode is the doctor himself. I made comments on this throughout this, the episode, but what, what was really what was the doctor's premise here? What was the doctor going for? Because at the outset, you know, he's the doctor realizes that he's on Telos, that it's the tomb of the Cybermen, and that no one should go in there, no one should reawaken the Cybermen. Yet he keeps helping them out over <laughs> and over to open more doors and go deeper into the tomb. That if the doctor wasn't there, none of this would have happened, and none of the none of those characters. Well, maybe the the first guy who was electrocuted on the door. Besides them, no one would have died. Right. So well, it's, it's it's one of those odd stories of where the, like, what is the doctor up to? Yeah, but you know, some. Um, I mean, that can be applied to just about well, probably ninety percent, especially of the classic series. 
you know, if the doctor hadn't shown up, you know, <laughs> we wouldn't be in this mess to begin with. <laughs> True. Uh, you know, the trouble seems to follow out the here, Doctor. and wouldn't he, progress. I, don't, I just don't, really don't think he can help himself is really what it all comes down to in the end is that, you know, the Doctor sees a big door, big threatening red button, you know, he's just got to go for it. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, those are my views in this episode, which are mostly unfair, completely unfair to this story. <laughs> I wouldn't say they were unfair, Mike. I would say no. that was uh, probably maybe 50% of the listeners w- would go along with that viewpoint, and it's a quite valid one. Um, just to count it somewhat, and again, I don't necessarily... Necessarily? I've got celery on me. Uh, I don't necessarily think you're wrong in that sense, but, I mean, uh, for instance, I mean, a couple of times people have mentioned... Um, you know the racist attitude on this well it is perceived as being racist now but at the time it was the prevailing way of portraying people not right i'm not saying that but i'm saying that you know this woman because there were like three or four agendas you you said that the doctor's agenda is is um unclear on this you know on the one hand he's trying to stop them but on the other hand his own curiosity, like Ian says, uh, you wonder whether he's, he's subconsciously helping them. I, I'm not too sure about that last one of opening that, um, the, the, the door to the, the lower chamber. wasn't him trying to prevent him, but the fact that two mistakes, the doctor doing something and the man misreading the calculations combined to actually open it, because I thought the doctor was slightly uh, upset that the door opened. Um, then we've got this woman with her uh, a personal bodyguard who's got her agenda, um, and everybody seems to be having an agenda in this. Uh, I thought, it, actually, the one thing I would say to this, whether it was a, a good story, whether it was worth waiting for or not, you cannot say it's one of these dire stories that limps along with nothing happening and, you know, somebody quarantined over here and somebody quarantined... I mean, we've actually sailed through these, to my mind, uh, in, in pretty smart form, uh, with everybody having uh, something to say. Now, going back to the um, the actual Cybermen themselves, they didn't seem to know what they were doing. I mean, you've got to assume, or I would assume, that the, the Cybermen, you know, have these reserve pockets. We've we've mentioned about the 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 the, the problem about having two planets Mondas and Talos uh, but I think one of the, the ways around all that is the fact that these are basically armies in waiting now you could argue the very fact that we you know we saw a dozen of them emerge what I think I would have liked is um, if you remember the episode Ark in Space where you know you've got the feeling that you know the whole of humanity is in suspended animation you know, with the fourth doctor, you know, indomitable and all his speech there. I, I think this would have been served a little bit better if if, if at some point they'd gone through another doorway and you'd seen row upon row upon row of these hibernation chambers. Because that, to me, would have then linked us quite nicely into more modern-day science fiction. Uh, think of the Borg. Yeah, one of the things I remember watching with, um, you know, Star Trek: The Next Generation, and you know, they, they they would transport over to the Borg ship, 
and the Borg completely ignored them. You know, it was irrelevant. But they were all in their little uh, chambers and uh, energy pods and so on because they weren't needed to take action. They could let these people wander around freely because at any moment they could swat them like flies. So it it wasn't an issue. And I think with a little bit more thought... Uh, and a little, uh, you know, just a few little cutaways to to give the implication that 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 group we saw thawing was just one of, you know, a thousand pods would have perhaps done it. Having said that, for some of the episodes of the day, and Ian commented upon it earlier that you know the budget constraints were there. This was actually quite um, a budget high episode, I would have thought. Um, in both casting and in model work and in visual effects, um, because, of course, they were almost done on the fly, those visual effects. So, actually, I've seen it, this episode, uh, sorry, this story, it must be about three or four years ago since I watched it through, and I absolutely am surprised that it's held up as well. What it failed on, there was some quite poor acting with some of the people uh, a little bit overacting they seem to be doing what I call shouting acting on a number of scenes but what really held true to me is those quiet moments you you mentioned a couple Mike and uh, and then there was the impromptu bits that Ian added in that um, you know the, the sheer fact that um, you know Patrick and uh, um, uh, uh, Fraser Hines had worked together so long that they had this sort of shorthand between them that added those nice little flourishes. But again, I mean, my my the second Doctor was my favourite Doctor all the way up to David Tennant, the tenth Doctor, who is now my favourite Doctor. But those two are my two favourite Doctors. But the quiet moments in Gridlock, the quiet moments, you know, in the Doctor's daughter. Um, where the doctor one-on-one is talking quietly to someone. Those are what makes episodes for me. And there were just a couple of moments here in this that had that same um, feeling to them. And um, I'm very pleased because I didn't know, very pleased that Ian said that remark earlier on that, um, that this was the episode that Mark Smith had, uh, had studied before he took on the role, because I Mike definitely can see... Eh? Mike said that. No, oh, I thought you said it. No, Mike said that. Oh. Well, one of the clever guys in the room said it. It wasn't <laughs> me. So I think it... I think um, there's a lot to commend this. I can see if people who are not used to watching black and white would... Um, would perhaps be disappointed. But I'll tell you what, there's some episodes that drag out, you know, seven episodes for a four-part story. This one really moved. And all in all, I think for something that is getting on for what, not far short of 40 years or whatever, it's done pretty well. 45 years, it's done pretty well. I don't know about a four-part episode. It's a one-bottle episode, this. Yes, there you go. But yeah, we we don't often do these. Uh, but uh, if you'd like to hear more classic episodes done, uh, just drop us a line. Uh, the best way to get hold of us usually is uh, either on Twitter, 
uh, look for us uh, we're called them um, and also on our Facebook page which we are called the podcast so uh, look out for us there uh, drop in your suggestions there's something you want us to talk all over the top of or present our, at least our views on it um, and we'll uh, give it a look all right guys time to wrap up um, of course until next time it's goodbye from Mr. Randall Thor. It's goodbye from Dave A.C. It's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Goodbye, everybody. Now I'm just going to just play this all backwards so I can uh, start drinking my wine again. Oh, no, it tells you to go and worship the devil if you do that. There's someone in my pod. I can't go back in. (laughs) Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.